We are in Genesis chapter 18 this morning, and uh, we are going to be looking at what God is conveying to Abraham in the last half of this chapter. And uh, appreciate Craig's message last Sunday in setting up for us uh, this, this morning's message. And so my title is the certainty of judgment. And so we're going to look at uh, chapter 18. We're going to start with verse 16, and we're going to look at uh, two things that um, Abraham needed to tell, or God needed to tell Abraham. And then that's in verses 16 through 21. And in verses 22 through 33, we're going to, or 32, we're going to look at uh, Abraham's uh, intercessory prayer and the heart of God about this matter. And then verse 33, we're going to look at God's departure from that conversation. Okay, so that's where we're at this morning. And so I want to begin with verses 16 through uh, 21. Then the men set out from there, and they looked down towards Sodom. Now, Abraham has had a dinner, a time of dinner. He's, he's shown hospitality to the pre-incarnate Christ and two men that were with him. In fact, uh, this is the only passage of Scripture where a mortal has ever dined with the pre-incarnate Christ. And so we looked at that last week. And so this is, um, they're getting up from that table conversation, and the men who were with the pre-incarnate Christ uh, looked down towards Sodom. And Abraham went with them to set them on their way. And the Lord said, Shall I hide from Abraham what I am about to do, seeing that Abraham shall surely become a great and mighty nation, And all the nations of the earth shall be blessed in him. For I have chosen him, that he may command his children and his household after him to keep the way of the Lord by doing righteousness and justice, so that the Lord may bring to Abraham what he has promised him. Then the Lord said, because of the outcry against Sodom and Gomorrah, because the outcry against Sodom and Gomorrah is great and their sin is very grave, I will go down to see whether they have done altogether according to the outcry that has come to me. And if not, I will know it. There's two things that um, the pre-incarnate Christ, the Lord, Jehovah God, must tell Abraham. Number one, well, the first question is, who is Abra- or the who is the pre-incarnate Christ speaking to? 
And we know from the next chapter in verse 1, these are angels that have accompanied him. We'll learn more about that next week. But that's who um, uh, the Christ, the pre-incarnate Christ is speaking to. And the Lord says, I have to tell Abraham some things. Why does God have to tell Abraham some things? Why does he need to be told these things? Two reasons. The first is in verse 18. Abraham is going to be a channel of blessing not to not just to the people of Israel, the nation of Israel, but Abraham is going to be a blessing, a channel of blessing to the nations of the world who believe in the God of Abraham. And so Abraham needs to know these things. He wants the people of God to know this story. As I was preparing this message this morning, I... I, I was listening to one pastor, and I was trying to find where his resource was coming from, but he said that uh, the Bible is the only uh, manuscript, ancient manuscript, that talks about Sodom and Gomorrah, the judgment of Sodom and Gomorrah. No other ancient manuscript. And so God wants the people of God, those who follow Abraham, to know this story. This is a very important story. And there's no other book in the world throughout history like the Bible. The second reason why God must tell Abraham is because Abraham was to be responsible to teach righteousness and justice to his offspring. That is his responsibility. And guess what, church? That is our responsibility as well, to teach righteousness and justice, let people know what God is all about. And then we see in verse 20 of uh, chapter 18 that Sodom's sin is very grave. Now, Abraham knew this. Sodom and Gomorrah had a reputation. We learned about this in Genesis chapter 13, verse 13. Um, they've had this reputation for a long time. And so when it comes to the gravity of their sin, how evil, how immoral they are, you know what? This isn't Paul's testimony in Romans chapter 1, and yet he talks about Sodom and Gomorrah in Romans chapter 1. This is God's story. This is what God is telling Abraham in Genesis chapter 18. It starts with God. And God is announcing his revelation uh, to Abraham, the, what he is going to do, uh, not only to Sodom and Gomorrah, but eventually, ultimately, to the world that rejects his ways. And so, Abraham 
is to share this with his offspring. He is to disciple them in the ways of the Lord, of what God expects of those who are followers of him. And to live righteous lives, to walk before God blamelessly um, before the Lord. This is what we are to be teaching the next generation if we anticipate, if we expect the next generation to walk with God, to know the heart of God. This is Abraham's responsibility. And guess what, church? Satan understands this. And Satan is working overtime to disciple the youngest of generations of Satan's way that they might not walk with God. And we read it in the newspapers and on TV every single day, don't we? Of how the youngest of generations is being educated in the ways of Satan. And yet God wants his people, church, mom and dad, God has given us this responsibility. God gave Abraham this responsibility. And I'm just, I'm just incur- exhorting you to see this passage of Scripture for what it is. You know, a couple weeks ago we uh, had a parent dedication. I'm going to use this passage in the next parent dedication because those young moms and dads need to be teaching from right the very beginning God's expectations, God's desires in their lives so that God might bless them, that God might protect them, that the church would grow and be that influence in the world uh, today and tomorrow. And so here is Sodom and Gomorrah. And they are the antithesis of God's righteousness and justice. And God is pointing out to Abraham the sharp contrast between God's people and the people who live in absolute rebellion against him. So Abraham has this responsibility. My question to you, parents is are you actively teaching your children the ways of the Lord? You know, here is how their time is spent over the course of a week. 16% of a child's time is spent at school. 1% of a child's time is spent at church. And that is if they're going to church and uh, Sunday school and Wednesday night youth group. One percent. And 83 percent of the time of their time is spent with you at home. Mom and dad, what are they learning? God's judgment in this passage of scripture, is a result of people who reject God's righteousness and justice. And God is about ready to judge 
these two cities. And guess what, church? God is still in the judging business today. God still judges cities today. God judges regions today, and he judges nations. Proverbs chapter 14, verse 34 says, Righteousness exalts a nation, but sin is a reproach to any people. Righteousness exalts a nation, not perversion. And yet we live in a day and age that we are pushing the the envelope and how much pervert, perverted influence can be, be, be in this nation today. That is not going to exalt a nation. The Bible says righteousness exalts a nation. So what should the righteous do? Number one, live righteously before God to enjoy all of his benefits. God told Abraham in Genesis chapter 17, verse 1, walk before me and be blameless. Enjoy a life of obedience, the blessings that accompany obedience. Secondly, what should the righteous do? Teach righteousness to your children that they may entreat the Lord and become righteous and not be swept away with the wicked in judgment. Talk to them about this story. And there's a lot to glean from this story that we're going to be walking through today and, and next week. Don't be ashamed or embarrassed about this story, mom and dad. God is pointing out the contrast between God's people and the wicked. And then number three, what are the righteous to do? Teach them to pray for God's mercy upon others. Pray for your enemy, the Bible says, and bless those who persecute you, Jesus says in Matthew chapter 5, verse 44. So that brings us to Abraham's intercessory prayer. Okay? Abraham's the father of a great nation, of a multitude of nations. He has a responsibility to disciple his children and those who follow him, just as you and I do. And God, third, is teaching us and wants us to convey to our kids to pray for God's mercy upon, upon others. And so let's look at Abraham's intercessory prayer, starting with verse 22. So the men turned from there and went toward Sodom, but Abraham still stood before the Lord. Then Abraham drew near and said, Will you indeed sweep away the righteous with the wicked? Suppose there are 50 righteous within the city. Will you then sweep away the place and not spare it for the 50 righteous who are in it? Far be it from you to do such a thing, to put the righteous to death with the wicked, so that the righteous fare as the wicked... 
far be that from you. Shall not the judge of all the earth do what is just? And the Lord said, If I find at Sodom fifty righteous in the city, I will spare the whole place for their sake. Abraham answered and said, Behold, I have, understood, I have undertaken to speak to the Lord. I am but dust and ashes. Suppose five of the fifty righteous are lacking. Will you destroy the whole city for lack of five? And he said, I will not destroy it if I find forty-five there. Again, he spoke to the Lord, spoke to him and said, Suppose forty are found here. And he answered, For the sake of forty, I will not do it. Then he said, Oh, let not the Lord be angry, and I will speak. Suppose thirty are found there. And he answered, I will not do it if I find thirty there. And he said, Behold, I have undertaken to speak to the Lord. Suppose twenty are found there. And he answered, For the sake of twenty, I will not destroy it. Then he said, Oh, not, oh, let not the Lord be angry, and I will speak again but this once. Suppose ten are found there. And he answered, For the sake of ten, I will not destroy it. And the Lord went his way when he had finished speaking to Abraham, and Abraham returned to his place. We see in this passage of Scripture, uh, 50 or or six what ifs. He starts with 50 righteous and he gets de- God down to 10 righteous. So if there's just 10 righteous in the city, Abraham asks the question, will you not destroy it? Now, <clears throat> how big was Sodom? I've, I've read... Um, Commentaries anywhere from 8,000 in the city to 100,000 people. And so when Abraham's pleading for the 50 righteous, I mean, we're not talking about a, a number, a great deal of people, righteous people in that city. And yet God says, if there are 10 righteous people in the city, just a minutia, God says, I will not destroy it. What's God doing here? God is showing to Abraham and God is showing to us, church, his grace and his mercy. Yes, he is going to judge. But if there is just ten people in this city, he is willing to spare the city because God wants to be merciful. And so here Abraham is praying for both the righteous and the unrighteous. Now, Abraham's got his his nephew Lot in the city. And Abraham's thinking of Lot and 
you know, it's been a while probably since he's talked a lot, and he's thinking that, you know, maybe there's uh, ten righteous people in Lot's family, but he doesn't know for sure. And so he's he's pleading mercy for Lot's family, but he's also pleading mercy for the unrighteous in the city. And this is an example for you and I. You know, question, are we praying for the unrighteous people in our lives? Do we have a burden for their salvation? Because the Bible is clear. If they don't know Christ, they are going to experience judgment for all eternity. And my friend, God has given you and I that responsibility to pray for them. And so Abraham, with a heart of humility and compassion, is praying for both his, his extended family and the unrighteous of the cities. And, and he knew how godless, how depraved, how evil, how wicked these people were. But he was still begging God. To, to, spare, to spare them from his wrath. Now, I want you to see in verse 25 that Abraham had a right heart, but he had a wrong assumption. Okay, verse 25 says this, Far be it from you to do such a thing, to put the righteous to death with the wicked, so that the righteous fare as the wicked. Far be that from you. Shall not the judge of all the earth do what is, ju- what is just? Abraham was wrong in supposing that the righteous cannot suffer the same tragedies as sinners. He says, can God do something like that? Never could Abraham imagine God doing such a thing. But here's where we need to show grace with Abraham. Because he doesn't have the benefit of all the scriptures. You know, Abraham is experiencing this this, this, this firsthand. He has no Bible to um, fall back on. And so he assumes this of God. But he doesn't have texts like Psalm 73. If you have your Bibles, let's look at uh, the Psalm of uh, Asaph in uh, Psalm 73. And I want to read verses 8 through 17. Psalm 73. Talking about the wicked says this, their eyes swell out through fatness. Their hearts overflow with follies. They scoff and speak with follies. They, they scoff and speak with malice. Loftily, they threaten oppression. They set their mouths against the heavens and their tongue to stretch through the earth. He's talking about the wicked here and all that they get away with. Verse 10, therefore his people turn back to them and 
find no fault in them. And they say, how can God know? Is there knowledge in the Most High? Behold, these are the wicked, always at ease. They increase in riches, all in vain. Have I kept my heart clean and washed my hands in innocence? For all the day I have been stricken and rebuked every morning. If I had said, I will speak thus, I would have been betrayed, I would have betrayed the generation of your children. But when I thought how to understand this, it seemed to me a wearisome task. Until I went to the sanctuary of God, then I discerned their end. Here the psalmist is saying, I see these wicked people, they're getting away with all these things, and yet all these difficulties are continuing to take place in my life. A a man who's trying to live a righteous life, and I'm getting nowhere. And it, it was wearing on him until he went into the house of the Lord, and the Spirit of God helped him, helped him to perceive their end. So that's Psalm 73. Look at, um, look at Luke chapter 13. Jesus' words in verses 4 and 5. Luke chapter 13. And actually I'm going to start... Um, I'm sorry, Luke 13. I'm going to, um, yeah, I'm going to start with verse one. Bible says, and there were some present at the very time who told him about the Galileans whose blood Pilate had mingled with their sacrifices. And he answered them, Do you think that these Galileans were worse sinners than all the other Galileans because they suffered in this way? And Jesus said, No, I tell you, but unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. Or those 18 on whom the Tower of Siloam fell and killed them, do you think that they were worse offenders than all the others who lived in Jerusalem? And Jesus said, no, I tell you, but unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. What's he saying here? He's saying often widespread calamities um, include not just the innocent, but also the wrongdoers. I don't know if you saw the picture of um, a family in Ukraine. I think it was yesterday. I don't know when the picture was taken, but it was this family. I don't know the story of the family, but uh, they were um, they were on the ground, um, kind of in a fetal position, in fear, because obviously from the picture a bomb had just gone off. And so they were covering their ears. And what caught my attention about this picture was a toddler that a dad was holding. And the, it, was, it could have been my grandson Levi 
and the terror that was on the expression of his face in that picture. I don't know if these, if this family was a believer or not. But oftentimes, when judgment, when calamity is occurring, it's the innocent that get caught up, uh, swept up with the wrongdoers as well. But I want you to know that in that situation, that even though as difficult as that situation is and wondering what God is doing, God treats the righteous far differently than he treats the unrighteous. The righteous, if they lose their life, they're going to be with God the Father in heaven for all eternity and never again to have to experience any of this heartache, the consequences of sin and evil in this world. And as people, as the unrighteous are caught up in the same wave or swept up in the same wave of judgment, their end is eternal damnation separated from God. All eternity. This is what the word of God says. And Jesus says in Luke chapter 13, it happens to both kinds of people. But the most important thing is that you made peace with God. Because if you don't have that peace with God, you are going to suffer eternal consequences. And so this is what this is what God wants us to know about himself. Abraham didn't know this. Far be it from you, God. But as we continue to walk through the pages of Scripture, and God reveals more and more of his nature to us, we learn these things about God. And even, even as bad as one might think losing their life is, you know what God says? They can't touch a hair of your head if you're in Christ. You're going to be with him for all eternity. So God wants us, in this passage of Scripture, Abraham is showing us compassion for others, including those who don't follow his ways. Abraham is teaching us how to persevere in prayer. He first started with 50, and he didn't give up on 50. He continued until he got to 10. And it's interesting in this passage of Scripture, too, God didn't have to tell Abraham that he was going to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah. The pre-incarnate Christ never points that out to Abraham. Abraham understands this uh, in his heart. And at the same time, God is wanting to tell Abraham that he hears the outcries of the righteous in the city of Sodom. And he's going to go down there and he's going to check it out himself 
if, if that is true. Now, he's speaking in human terms right now. God already knows these things. But God is communicating to Abraham that he's checking all the boxes. And the one, we're going to learn about the one who was crying next week. It was, it was Lot. Peter tells that in, in, in the New Testament. But God heard, heard, hears the prayer, the outcries of the righteous. And the last thing we need to um, glean from this passage of Scripture is that you and I must ultimately accept God's judgments, even when His decisions are not our desired choices. God didn't answer Abraham's prayer. There were less than ten people in the city of Sodom. He spared Lot and his family, but he destroyed the center, the, 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 the cities. And it's at that point, church, when we've been pouring our heart out to God and it doesn't go according to the way that we want it to go, it's at that, that point brothers and sisters of Christ, that we need to trust His will. He has a perfect will that we need to be trusting in in Him for. And there's another thing I want you to notice from this passage of Scripture. Perversion destroys individuals, families, cities, and nations. But righteous people preserve society. Had there just been ten people, all those cities, not just Sodom and Gomorrah, but there were other cities involved as well, they would have been spared for the righteous people. The pathway to a city's blessing is righteousness. The pathway to a city's shame is sin. And the most important people in any city are the righteous. The most important institutions in any city are the churches who are walking in God's ways. We are to, to follow the ways of God in the ways of righteousness. God is a God of mercy. You know, we get, we get overwhelmed with the fact that God pronounced judgment on these cities. But I want you to see the mercy of God. God wanted to display His mercy. Had there just been Ten righteous people. But if there weren't, he was going to judge sin. And we want God to be a God who judges sin. As hard as that is to think about, if God did not judge sin, 
he would not be a loving God. He wouldn't care about the things that happen in this world towards innocent people, towards the the abused, the the disenfranchised, those who have experienced murders among loved ones, the consequences of this evil. If God turned his face, if he just ignored those things and not judged those things, he would not be the God of love. So he's a God of mercy, and because he's judge, he is a loving God. And this passage in Genesis chapter 18 is a um, precursor of what God is ultimately going to do at the end of time. Look at 2 Peter chapter 2, verses 4 through 10. 2 Peter chapter 2. starting with verse 4. For if God did not spare angels when they sinned, but cast them into hell and committed them to chains of glooming darkness to be kept until the judgment, if he did not spare the ancient world, but preserved Noah, a herald of righteousness, with seven others when he brought a flood upon the world of the ungodly, If by turning the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah to ashes, he condemned them to extinction, making them an example of what is going to happen to the ungodly. And if he rescued righteous Lot, greatly distressed by the sensual conduct of the wicked, for as the righteous man lived among them day after day, He was tormenting his righteous soul over their lawless deeds that he saw and heard. Then the Lord knows how to rescue the godly from trials and to keep the unrighteous under punishment until the day of judgment, and especially those who indulge in the lust of defiling passion and despise authority. Just as he has judged Sodom and Gomorrah, he is going to judge all the ungodly at the end of time. This is what God is wanting to show us about himself in this passage of Scripture. And then in verse 33, God departs from Abraham. God's finished speaking. God knew that there weren't ten righteous people in Sodom and Gomorrah. God was going to destroy those cities. God knew what he had to do. Judgment was coming. And this judgment is a precursor to the final judgment, according to Peter. And according to Jesus in the Gospels as well. But you know what? God has provided a way of escape. In himself. Taking God's judgment. Taking God's wrath. 
taking the consequences of our sin upon himself and dying. And if we would just believe in what Christ has done for us, we can avoid the wrath of God. We can, in in return, enjoy the blessings of God and his righteousness, his full inheritance poured out upon our life. But we've got to stand in Christ. We've got to believe in Christ. As I was uh, preparing this message this week, I listened to a sermon by Steve Lawson. He's a pastor in Texas. And he was talking about a um, preacher who told uh, him a story about um, the plains of Texas. And uh, uh, Stephen, you probably know this about the plains of Texas, but, uh, you know, sometimes those plains catch on fire. And there can be strong winds. And there are no stopping those fires when uh, those plain, when those winds blow across West, West Texas in that open country. And uh, he told the story about a, a dad who was with a, um, his son uh, hunting out in the fields one day when uh, those, he saw those fires on the horizon. And there, that fire was coming their way. And there was no way that they were going to outrun those fires. And so in that moment, Dad pulled out of his backpack a match. He lit that match and he threw it at his feet. The boy said, Dad, what are you doing? He said, Son, trust me. We're going to let this field burn around us. And... uh, as 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 the fire is coming upon us, guess what? We're just going to step in the middle of this charred territory, this charred charred grass, and that fire isn't going to touch us. It's going to go around us. My friend, that illustrates what Christ has done for us. If we'll just step in the center of, of the the charred territory, which is the cross, in which Christ has died for us. He's taken the Father's wrath upon himself. If we'll just stand in that truth, we will stand in Christ. We will be baptized into the person of Christ through faith. If we'll just believe that, my friend, will escape God's judgment. We will be protected and kept secure for all eternity. This is the gospel. We can't outrun the judgment that's coming. We can only stand in Christ we will be kept safe. And God in his mercy wants to spare every one of us and every one of your loved ones 
who are walking in the ways of wickedness right now. He wants to spare them from His judgment. And as people of God, we just need to, in humility, plead for God's mercy. Plead that those loved ones will come to know Christ, that they will stand in the center of the cross, giving their life to them. Do you know Christ? Have you trusted Him as your Lord and Savior? My friend, don't if you haven't, don't let this day pass. If you don't have a relationship with God, may today be the day of your salvation. We're going to have a, a hymn of invitation right now. We want to give you that opportunity to receive Christ. Elders will be in the dining hall. Love to have a conversation with you. We don't want to embarrass anybody. We just want to love you to Jesus and let Jesus save your heart and life. Let's pray. Father, thank you. Thank you for Abraham's example. His heart of compassion. He didn't want to lose his family. He didn't want to see this city destroyed. But it came to the point where Abraham had to trust the heart of God. Trust what God had to do. And God, you want to bring us to the same point. This is a very hard story, especially in this day and age. It's not popular. And yet it's true. And you wanted us to know it. You want us to know who you are. You want us to teach our children and our grandchildren. Trusting that, Lord, that they will entreat you beg you to save their hearts and their life. We're just one generation away from not knowing you, God. And you've given us that responsibility. Help us to take that role seriously. Lord, if you've spoken to a heart this morning that is without Christ, May today be the day of your salvation, their salvation. God, you love them. You died for them. Today, may they choose to stand in you, believing all that you've done for them. In Jesus' name we pray.